Hi, and welcome to Canada Obscura. My name is Mary. And I'm Shelly. And this is a podcast where we talk about all sorts of spooky, scary stuff that takes place in Canada, including urban legends, hauntings, true crime, etc. Um, just a blanket trigger warning, we do cover some rather harrowing stuff, so if you think that you might be affected by this, perhaps come back another day. Yes, and also we do swear, so if that makes you uncomfortable, um, our bad. Yeah. All right, so... Let's jump oh, in. Oh, before we oh. jump into it, actually. Um, so uh, when, as of recording, we had just put up episode two, and I want to deeply apologize for all of the noise. We're still working out our setting. We're still figuring things out. Um, the setting today is different from last time. So um, there's also a possible warning of background noise. Yeah, yeah. So apologies. Uh, we'll try to we'll try to get our shit in order. <laughs> it's hard, okay? <laughs> all right. Um, so Shelly... No, I will first. be starting today. Oh, I thought you were going to make me go first. I'm like, no, you've got was, it wrong. No, 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 no. <laughs> I will be starting today um, with, oh, my mom just texted me, food is ready. Would you look at that? Oh. Yeah. Okay, well. Should we just stop and go? <laughs> come back, come back to this? Yeah, yeah, fuck it. And we're back. And very, <laughs> very full. Very full. Um, I forgot to mention before we left, um, so the format of the show, because we got a couple of questions about it, um, we each are like we're we're finding stories and we're we don't tell each other about it before, but we're kind of presenting it to each other. Well, the first couple episodes we kind of mentioned little yeah hints, yeah. But... Well, it's because we had to re-record. <laughs> so yeah, that's we knew each other's stories. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's kind of like a, it's a bit of a surprise. So you get more of an authentic reaction. But um, yeah. Anyway, Go. so yeah. <laughs> um, my story is uh, it's a, it's an actual history part okay. of. Canadia. It's Cana- called, yes, Canadia. Is it's that called... really a thing, or did you just make that up? Uh, no, I, I, I refer to Canada as Canadia all the time. People, like, it's fucking, it's just being snarky. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's called Project Magnet, and um, it was a, a unidentified flying object study program that was huh. established by Transport Canada on December 2nd, 1950. This wow. is a while ago. But this um, was like a legit government. It was a legit government. Like, we're going to... Okay, area okay here's the thing. Yes. In, <laughs> um, there was a lot of, like, flying saucer and unidentified flying object reports back then. I couldn't actually find any of them. I think they're a little too old for them to be electronic. Yeah. Um, or, like, converted to electronic, I mean. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I couldn't find any of them, but they had enough that the government was like, okay, we need to do something about this. <laughs> so, um, Wilbert B. Smith, if you think about it, that's... Will Smith. Um, he was a senior radio engineer for the Transport Canada's broadcast and measurements section, whatever. Um, and he had requested to use the facilities of the Department of Transport to study the UFOs. So, like, um, it was formally approved on December 2nd, 1950. And um, the intention of it was to collect data about UFOs and apply any recovered data to practical engineering and technology. Their ultimate. So they're like shield. <laughs> oh, are they? <laughs> well, kind, kind of. Not yeah. really. Shield doesn't do like weapon. Well, they had an ultimate goal, and that was to apply any findings on subject on the subject of geomagnetism to po- to the possibility of exploiting Earth's magnetic field as a source of propulsion for vehicles. So they were hoping, you know what? All these people were reporting the UFOs. Cars. Oh my god, I didn't even... Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they were like, okay, you know what? There's all these UFOs. How are they getting around? They're assuming that it was the geomagnetism, like the magnetic uh, force that the Earth has, and they wanted to see if they could study them and figure out how to use that for ourselves. Huh. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's 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 clever in the way that they approached it. However, it's also a bunch... Um, okay, in my opinion, it's a bunch of bullshit. But anyway... Well, um, I guess at the time, the 1950s... No, I mean, they had no idea. And the people are reporting it all the time. And, like, yeah. some of them will eventually be uh, accounted for. I don't know if you actually know this, but every single year, Government of Canada has, like, a list of UFO sightings. Like, a, an account, really? I should say. Account. Yeah. And they release it every single... Well, at the end of every single year, usually it's, like... So, I'm pretty sure you can find 2017. Yeah. This thing. And, like, last year, I think I think it was last year, there was something like 1,500 sightings or whatever... And wow. a vast majority of them... How many of them were drones? Well, here's the thing. A vast majority of them, they're able to account for. A okay. vast yeah. majority will be like, oh, my name is Jerry, and like I saw a thingy in the sky over freaking whatever, this area. And then they'll, they'll look at their actual like, re- like 
because the military does like test flights and stuff like that and they'll be yeah. able to corroborate it True. so um a vast majority and like it's an incredibly small number that they don't actually account for mm-hmm. but they still think okay probably a drone probably yeah. s- it could Especially be a weather nowadays. balloon something yeah, yeah but it's something that they do and something that they do publish so if That's... you are curious about it look into it because sometimes they list some of the uh the, the the actual like this is an interesting one this is a claim whatever, or whatever. that's it's pretty cool. interesting i yeah. didn't know that yeah i just thought the government was like nope there's no ufo no no no, no. But they all their it. secrets well because people call it in a panic right they're that's like true. oh my god eh. so then they look into it and then again vast majority are accounted for but it's still fun to read yes it's still fun to read and especially considering how high the number is now anyway um so they were taking it seriously but they were like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna see if we can use it for ourselves. Um, so it was like a small group of people that were working on it, and it was like some. I mean, obviously, there's Wilbert B. Smith, Will Smith, our boy. Now and I'm just picturing a movie made about this starring Will Smith. Have you seen Men in Black? Yeah, like yeah, a long time ago though. But yes. yes. So basically, Men in Black. Anyway, <laughs> um, so. It was, a, yeah, it was a small group of people. There was some personnel from the Defense Research Board and National Research Council helping. Hmm. So it wasn't just Will Smith, Wilbert B. Smith. But yeah, there was like some people who are involved in it. Um, and then on April 22nd, 1952, so about halfway through this, uh, or like a couple years after, uh, there was another project called Project Second Story, also known as Project Flying Saucers and Project Theta, that was established to deal with reports specifically of flying saucers. So it was no longer like... Just UFOs. Yeah. So then um, Project Magnet was like UFOs in general. Project Second Story was just flying saucers. And huh. yeah. And uh, so he was also involved in it. Um, he, they, they were actually pretty linked because they used a lot of the information they found for Project Magnet as part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously a lot of the UFOs were like, a oh, flying saucer, whatever. Yeah. And um, yeah, and there was... Uh, a, the committee like uh, of Second Story involved scientists, military officers, and members of government agencies dedicated solely to investigating these reports as sponsored by the Defense Research Board. Can you imagine, though? Like, you start out as just a civil servant working like a, like a boring government job. Yeah, and it's I like, know, like a desk hey, job with papers. You're a weirdo. Yeah. We're going to put you on this alien task force. Geomagnetism. And, and next thing um, you know, you're putting together the Avengers Initiative. Oh, and- my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't yeah. stop bringing up Marvel well, shit. Well, like, that's why I thought it was so funny. Like, it's like, it's it's almost like it's out of a comic book. Like, this, yeah. this organization. Um, yeah. So, anyway. So, uh, this group of people would meet periodically and they would discuss, the, like, the, Uf- the question of the UFOs. Like, who are they? What are they? Why are they here for? Mm-hmm. And uh, they would also recommend government action. So I'm hmm. assuming that this is like code for doomsday situation, kind of <laughs> being like, what do we do if there's an actual where or whatever? Um, anyway, so June of 1952, so this is just a couple months after Project Second Story was established, um, Wilbert B. Smith had, uh, he like published a preliminary report and he claimed that UFOs likely came from intelligent extraterrestrial sources and almost certainly were manipulating magnetism for flight. So, yeah, October of 1952, a few months after that, he set up an observatory in Shirley's Bay, which is outside of Ottawa, and uh, he, it was to study reports of the UFO sightings. And, okay, so in 1953, he published a report that said, like, his, the, the prior, the preliminary report was just kind of, like, suggesting. In 1953, he was like, yes, these, this is what it is. Hmm. Um, I wonder kind of, like, proof that they were having well, that they would publish these thing. reports. Well, here's the thing. I don't think I don't know what they actually had considering or concerning proof because I guess a lot of it is like you know secret and whatever. There's not yeah. really shared. I couldn't find much on it. However, he himself he thought that UFOs would emit physical characteristics that could be measured. So like you know with the whole geomagnetism, he yeah. thought that it could be measured, and he thought that UFOs were linked to psychic phenomena, and he believed himself to be in contact with the extraterrestrials who communicated with him telepathically. Okay. Yes. So and now we're running, getting a little concerned. And <laughs> he's running like this government group, government funded, government approved group. Um, so that's in 1953. And like during this time, he wrote numerous articles for a publication called Topside. And that is uh, the publication of the Ottawa New Sciences Club, which he founded. Uh, so of course he's writing articles in his own thing. Yeah. And um, he, uh, in those articles, he outlined the philosophy of the quote, Space Brothers. Oh, with, dear. Who is who he claimed to be in contact with. 
who are basically whispering to him like the secrets of flying and electromagnetism See, and all that. Here's the here's the problem with this. You need like a good mix of skeptics. Yes. And then some people who are open-minded to believing it, but not people who are going to kind of I don't I mean, uh I don't know. I guess there's a possibility of Yeah. It just seems so... Yeah, I don't know. And the thing is, he was leading it, so it was just kind of like a whole lot of his word and what he... Oh, apologies for the sounds, by the way. We are... Full disclosure, we're recording this in my basement right now. <laughs> we're not in a studio or anything uh, because life just worked out that way, so apologies. But yeah, no. Um, so he's this, like, he's this guy who like fully believes that they're contacting him and they're talking to him. You know, the Aww. space brothers, the space homies, and like the space homies. <laughs> and he's got the power of the government on his side. Who are like, yep, here's some money. Go ahead, do it. Um. Anyway, so in 1954, a year afterwards, the project was shut down. Um. He was still allowed to use the Shirley Bay facilities huh. that he had set up, uh, like n- near Ottawa, but yeah. it was only with his funding. Okay. So they're like, you can use it, but you got to pay for it. Because I think probably they weren't getting anything out of it. No. No, of course not. Like. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he uh, he kept he kept using the facilities and he kept his own research up until 1962, which was when he died. So he was in wow. there still. He, he fully believed in this man. He was like gung-ho about it up until the day he died um and then later on in 1969 uh his top side articles like with the space brothers they were collected and published posthumously um under the title the boys from top side hmm. so that was that that's his entire story um yeah so that's... it just it, i thought it was so funny because there was like this whole government sanctioned government backed government funded i want to say the 50s though was kind of when the whole alien thing peaked though right maybe maybe because well like we haven't we haven't no one's been to space yet right that was in the 60s i believe so yeah yeah so there's so much speculation yeah 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 Yeah. and i guess there's because of sightings of flying saucers and stuff it's easy to believe okay if there is life out there they're probably much smarter than we are yeah because um, we haven't managed oh, yeah. to get well, flying saucers fly- yet. Yeah, and if they're flying, like, it took us forever just to get the plane, like, as a thing. You know, yeah. and if they're seeing, Where's like, this, our this... hover cars? I know, right? So, like, it's it was clever in theory. Yeah. However, in practicality... Yeah, but I'm sure, like, there's... Him and his space brothers. Space, space bros. Homies. Space homies. Crack open a cold one with his space bros. <laughs> Can you imagine? God... God. Yeah, I don't know. But you know what? I'm glad he felt justified. I'm glad yeah. he felt justified by the government until, I don't know. And, like, it doesn't say anywhere. But um, I wonder if he was, like, I don't, I feel like he wasn't, like, of the Space Brothers idea when he first started with them. Because I doubt that they'd be like, okay, you're talking to magical people in the sky. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I, it, it might have been a situation of he's so, like, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It's uh, gonna happen. I think he was probably kind of already mentally compromised. Like yeah. just making an assumption. I would imagine this to kind of be a stressful job. To be oh, honest, hundred percent. Like it, it sounds fun, but you're also trying to get results. And he was leading this entire thing, and yeah. like he's he's hyper. And it's like a lot of pressure from the government too, right? So to I think be that like, kind of well, puts you we're funding in a... you. You have personnel from like our high up, friggin' important groups, and they're here. And you're supposed to be, like, figuring out geomagnetism in order for us to create these flying saucers. Well, our version of flying <laughs> saucers, whatever. Yeah. But that was, that's a fun little tidbit of Canadian history. We I'm... actually had a, a sanction of people who were studying UFOs. And... Now, here's here's the, here's the conspiracy. You said the program ended, but, but did it. it. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> well, going back to Marvel, because I am a huge fucking nerd, apparently. Um, but... You know, like, the whole S.H.I.E.L.D. thing was supposed to be a secret up until everything blew up. Oh, okay. Right? Like, no one was supposed to really know about it until, I guess, I don't remember which movie it was. I never watched the Iron Man movies. Sorry, not sorry. Oh, I but, did. That was one of the only things that I actually did watch. But I don't think S.H.I.E.L.D. was revealed then. I think it was only I don't think so either. Avengers, think so. because that was when the big shit happened. So, mm. you never know. Yeah. There's a possibility of... A secret government agency out there working with aliens or... I've actually seen that theory pop up a number of times during Uh my searches for stuff like this. This is the only one that I could find that was like, 
this is historically a thing. The other ones are kind of just like hearsay. Like, yeah. oh, there's an alien base somewhere. And a lot of conspiracy theories. There's and... a conspiracy theory that there's an alien base in Lake Ontario. Well, it's very big. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> so that's, that's, not that's currently a, a theory, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, no, this is the only one that I found that was like, okay, this is historically bad. This is an actual thing that actually did actually occur. But You occur. said actually like five times. I know, one that was intentional. Anyway, um, yeah, so that was my story for the week. Okay, well, that was nice and lighthearted. Are you ready to get really angry? Ooh, I um, like being ragey. Okay, so, let's go. Hold on, wait, let me... Ah. Okay. I'm so glad. <laughs> so, I heard... I was looking for cases, and then when I saw this, I was like, why does this look familiar? And I realized that I actually learned about it in school Uh-oh. Um, for one of my criminalistics classes. Uh-oh. Uh, and it's kind of a well-known case. It's talked about in a lot of forensic circles, a lot of legal circles. Um, so we are going to get pretty forensics-y, so it's my time to shine. Sorry for the buzzing in the back. Um, also, and I wrote this in all caps, this case made me so angry when I first heard it in school, and then I read it again, and now I'm angry again. the anger again. <laughs> so, also trigger warning, this, the victim of this is a young girl. Uh, uh, murder, kidnapping, rape. Oh, God. Okay. So... Just an FYI, um, we're going to jump right in. The victim's name is Christine Jessup, and she's the most like adorable nine-year-old I have ever seen. I, I'll show you a picture of her, but she's got like these wide eyes, bright smile with her like little, she's got like little rabbit teeth. It's a, She's adorable. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she was nine at the time, and she was living in Queensville, Ontario. Okay. Um so when I this is actually kind of close to where I live not not really but I was I never realized it was that close um yeah she was just a normal little girl she was described as a bit of a tomboy who really likes sports in particular baseball um her dog freckles and just animals in general um and her mom when she had disappeared said spoiler alert um like she would never run away she had no reason to run away yeah so she did disappear on October 3rd, 1984. Oh. Uh, at around 3.50 p.m., she got off her school bus and picked up the mail, went home. There was no one home at the time. Her dad was at work and her mom was running errands. So she was nine? Yeah. Okay. I was walking. I, this was, like, even when I lived in Jane and Finch, I, well, I went to school across the street, but yeah. nine is no, old enough No, I used to, to do that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just walk home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and it seemed video. like... I, from it what wasn't, I know, that way, so she said it wasn't a big deal. No. Yeah. But from what I can tell of this neighborhood, just based on what I know of it now, it's not a very like it's very suburban. Oh, okay. So it's it's not uncommon for a nine year old to be walking alone. Um, yeah. From the bus stop. Yeah. So she dropped off her stuff and went to the convenience store um, to buy bubble gum, and that was the last time she was ever seen alive. Uh-huh. Uh, her parents came home at around four ten p.m. And the home was empty. They saw that her book bag and the mail was there. So they knew she did come home. Mm-hmm. But at the time, no cell phones or anything, right? No, is this, so, you said 81? Uh, 84. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they called her friends and searched the area and the parks and everything. But no one had seen her. Um, around 7 or 8 p.m., they gave up the search and called the police. And apparently within minutes, because this is a missing nine-year-old, uh, they started searching the area and yeah. interviewing the neighbors. Yeah. So, at this point, it's still just a disappearance, right? They don't know what happened to her, but... But you go into panic mode because um, if she's abducted, uh, the possibility of her being murdered within... Yeah. Is it 48 hours or is it 24? 48? 48. It's like 94% or something like that. Something yeah. incredibly high. It'll, it. It's And it's a little, again, like a little girl, yeah. right? And yeah. she's adorable. She's well-known, I think. Okay. Like, it's a small enough community that, that they everyone know kind of knows other. everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a big deal. But um, very quickly, police focus their attention on the Jessup's next-door neighbor, uh, Guy Paul Moran. Okay. So, I don't know, some people might recognize his name. Uh, so he was described as weird. Yes, we'll get into that. He was 23 years old, lived in his... Or he lived with his parents. Okay. Um, which is not a big deal, because that's... That's us. <laughs> yep. Uh, and he worked at a local furniture store. He played sax and clarinet in a band um, and was also a beekeeper. So he had like a little oh. bee thing um, in his backyard. Which, the bees. 
Yes, well, the neighbors didn't enjoy that. They thought it was just an oddity. Oh. Um, he didn't socialize much, so he was described as spending most of his time indulging in his hobbies. Uh, same. But he did not, but he did have a girlfriend. Not same. <laughs> yes, let's laugh at my pathetic situation. Anyway, um, although he had never been in trouble before, detectives thought that he, quote, fit the profile of a child killer. Now, okay. again, no confirmation of death at this point. Okay? Yeah. So I don't know when, you know, they said this, if it was after that 48-hour window, but still, there's no, at this point... So they basically were just, like, canvassing, looking for her, and then they saw this guy, and they're like, you know what? This guy looks like he could be a fucking creep. Yeah. Okay. So when they interviewed um, Moren's mother, they found that Guy Paul's actions were strange, saying that he just stared straight ahead and never spoke. Um, so like when they were talking to him or is it just in general? To, I think in general. I think they oh. were just talking to his mother and noticed that he was just kind of sitting there staring off. Okay. Um, which is weird, but also not, I wouldn't call that a red flag. No. Um, not that I like um, anyway. Um, okay. I don't want to spoiler. No, I'm not going to spoiler alert, but there, there is a story that I am going to eventually present where um, someone just behaving like immediately cops this is also from the 80s yeah um they just immediately assumed so spoiler alert for the next episode but like <laughs> yeah so they just immediately assumed but so i could totally see them they're just like rah, rah, rah. See, not that i really know anything um about autism or neuroatypical neuroatypical neurodivergent yeah, but yeah. that's just that's what it comes off as to me. yeah it's probably neuroatypical yeah, and yeah this, this was also the, the 80s, 80s. Uh, yeah. I mean, people are shit about it now. So oh, imagine, yeah, God, imagine they are. the 80s. Yeah. Um, they basically just focused all their attention on him. Uh, during the initial search for Christine, a police dog had uh, found a hit on the Moran's car. And then further search of the car found fibers, which the Ontario Center of Forensic Sciences, which is where I Oh, um, that also ha, comes ha, up ha. in the next yes. episode. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> um but they said that it, yeah, so they were sent, I'll talk about that part later, but it was sent to the Center of Forensic Sciences for analysis, and they said that the fibers belonged to something Christine wore, which, <sighs> let, we'll get into the forensics, we'll get into the forensics. Okay, yeah. Um, so nearly three months later, after her disappearance, on New Year's Eve 1984, uh, Christine's body was found in a field near Sunderland, which is about oh. a half an hour east of where she lived. Yeah. Um, so I put in a warning here. There is a slightly graphic description of a dead little girl. Yeah. So um, I would skip ahead about a minute or so. Okay, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, she was found lying on her back with her legs spread apart in a, quote, unnatural position. Uh-oh. Now, this part seems really weirdly detailed, but it is important. Um, she was wearing a beige turtleneck, blue pullover sweater, a blouse, and it had some buttons missing, and a pair of socks. Uh, apparently it was later determined she was wearing two pairs of socks. I don't know why this detail was added in, to be honest, but the other okay. details do matter. Yeah. Um, autopsy, oh, sorry, skip the head. So no Oops. pants? Her panties were found by her right foot, and her pants, which were blue corduroy, uh, and her shoes were found by her feet. Jesus. So... Autopsy revealed that this poor girl had been killed by multiple stab wounds to her upper body. Oh, God. Uh, semen was found on her underwear, but at this time, DNA wasn't really a thing yet. No. Um, so, this was found in a different region than where she originally disappeared. Yeah, so, the yeah. case was handed over um, oh, to okay. the other regional police. Okay. Uh, now, when... So, the first police force that took had the case was York Region Police. Yeah. And then it was handed over to the Durham Region Police. So the York okay. Region Police, when they gave them the information, said, look into this guy, Guy Paul Moran. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he was eventually arrested and charged, though he still maintained his innocence. Okay. So what happened with the arrest? What happened with the trial? First trial began in January in 1986. So okay. this was a couple years, a couple later. years later. Yeah. Um, it, and was he, he was arrested this entire time? Was he out on bail or was he just in incarceration? I think he was just in, in jail. Jeez, okay. Just in jail, yeah. There's, I mean, we can get into the legality of 
the wait times and stuff. Yeah. Because um, by constitutional rights, you do have the right to a speedy and fair trial. Um, but there's also a lot of bureaucratic red tape and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, like, you have to get a judge that's available. So you end up running does, around. Okay. Yeah, it does take time. Um, so the prosecution's... <laughs> Mary. Sorry. <laughs> She's like... We're, we're using my brother's <laughs> setup equipment, and he's got a microphone that has, like, um, a soundproof shield around it. It's like, you know, those, like, little coney, like, foam whatever foam things? They're, they're great to, like... They're like she's little tweaking nips. them like she's <laughs> tweaking them like nipples. Mary, this is inappropriate. We're talking about the death I was, of a child. I, look, I'm a fidgeter. Anyway, continue. I don't remember where I am. Okay, hold on. Okay, so the prosecution's theory was that Moran was a quote oddball who snapped on the day of the kidnapping. Um, they said he raped and murdered Christine and then disposed of her body um, far from the area yeah, so that far. it couldn't be connected to him. Uh, a lab technician from the Center of Forensic Sciences testified that red fibers they found in Marin's car came from a sweater worn by Christine, which prosecutors claimed linked Marin to the victim. But she wasn't wearing red. Exactly. Okay. So, again, we'll get into the forensics because the, the amount of fuck-ups in this yeah. is unbelievable. And this is why I think it was used as a teaching case. Yes. Um, because... This is you, a huge fuck-up. Oh, so many fuck-ups. I already fuck see where this is going. Okay. Yeah. I'm settling so, in. So, in addition to that, uh, they had two jailhouse snitches who testified that Moran had conf- confessed to them while he was oh, in jail waiting for on. the trial. Okay. Uh, on February 7th, the jury actually acquitted him because evidence? What evidence? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. We all have heard of double jeopardy, which means that you can't retrial um, or retry a case after you know a sentencing yeah um and this is to prevent firstly the cost it's a huge cost to run a trial and also just to prevent the um victim's family and friends from going through the trauma again yeah now but you can get an appeal but you have to appeal and the appeal needs to be approved and then it has to be approved for a retrial right yes so that's what happened oh prosecution appealed and they got it Um, because you can't say he did it when the, the, she wasn't found with red fibers, like in this red sweater well, or whatever. Well, no, no, no. Here's, here's the thing, though. The, yeah. We're getting ahead. Okay. Okay? So he was acquitted. Remember, the jury was like, you don't have evidence on him. Yeah. Problem was, they appealed it, and somehow it went. the appeal went through, and they retried him. Okay. And um, he was found guilty. Okay. So, the jury viewed the jailhouse snitches more favorably than the first jury. And they were also convinced by the scientists from the Center of Forensic Sciences who swore that the fibers from the car matched the sweater worn by Christine. Um, And also, apparently, there was a single hair on the necklace worn by her that matched Moran. Did it it actually? Or was it just kind of like, hey, he's got brown hair and this Um, is a brown hair? So, we'll get into that. Okay. More forensics. Okay, so you actually do have all that information. Okay. This is... This is information, so just a FYI, this is information I pulled from um, the article that I read, and also from memory of that lecture. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. So, my, my next subtitle in my notes was, what the actual fuck, though? <laughs> because it gets, this poor guy, okay? So, most prisoners who are convicted of um, harming a child, killing, sexually assaulting, they're usually kept away from other prisoners, yeah. because they're very, very targeted. Yes. He was not. Moran was kept with the other prisoners, and he was abused and sexually assaulted by them. Jesus. So, of course, he was exonerated uh, by DNA evidence. Oh, my God. So, on January 23rd, 1995, so he was sentenced, um, I think it was July... 86, uh, 1992, so the appeal took a while. Oh, Jesus. That's... Wow. Yeah. Six years of appeal. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, they... Uh, he was found guilty on ni- in 1992, and then 1995, uh, he appealed his conviction and was allowed based on the DNA report, which shows that his DNA does not match the semen found um, in Christine's underwear. Jesus. So he was eventually awarded $1.5 million, but honestly, the amount of fuck-ups, uh, that's just not enough. And the, like, That's lifelong that damage. Entered. That is lifelong damage. Yeah. So what went wrong? Um, 
basically there was an inquest to determine what went wrong and this was done this was commissioned or something by honorable fred kaufman a judge okay by on so this was the kaufman report which is why i was like i remember this recognize it yeah yeah so some people with a law background would probably recognize this um so the hearings on this inquest began in uh february of 1997 and then in october uh the ruling was given out so so much went wrong yeah firstly tunnel vision by police yeah absolutely because and they were just profiling him based on the so-called demeanor um evidence which is not evidence just because someone's weird you can't yeah you can't say oh he looks like and a you killer. know what like some people just react differently to traumatic incidences mm-hmm. like this and like they were fairly close i'm assuming considering that they were neighbors and they knew them well uh, I would think so. Yeah, it seemed yeah. like that kind of It seems community. like that, right? That's the way. It, but even if they weren't, if they didn't know them well, just knowing it happened right on your front doorstep, you know what? It makes, maybe, you, it makes you nervous. It makes Not you for nervous. You, yeah. But for the girl who's missing. And for the people in the neighborhood. And then you know what? What if he just like freaking took the garbage out and is like sitting there thinking, how come I didn't see anything? You well, know what I mean? Like, again, it could be I, anything I going through his mind. Have, he might have been just neuroatypical yeah. and his yeah. behavior was thought of as weird. Yeah. Um, and... Okay, because you minored in forensic psych, I want your opinion on this. Uh Criminal profiling is, okay, here's the thing. Criminal profiling is like, it's it's shown to have, I think it's like a 48% effectiveness. So it is not substantial by any means. Okay. Yes. I think we probably, I don't remember if we had the same forensic psych. Here's the thing, if you watch uh, Criminal Minds, which (laughs) is a show I love, by the way, I love, love, love. Um, it is 95% bullshit like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, again, I don't know if we had the same prof, but the forensic psych prof that I had, he railed on criminal profiling so yeah. much. He hated yeah. it. He was, he's saying, like, he's giving examples, oh, people think it succeeds because they're giving these broad facts that yes. kind of just, like, fits everyone, right? But so. it doesn't, and that's why it's got such a low efficacy rate, and that's why it's, like, the FBI, like the actual American FBI, they don't consider it a, like, there's the behavior, I don't even think they have behavioral analysts like they do in Criminal Minds. And if they do, think, no, the they do. is a thing. Yeah, but it's but. it's not the way that it is in Criminal Minds. No. And I know they do consult them, but they consult them, I believe, on cases more than anything and, like, what the steps would be in regards to, like, evidence and all that. Because, like, it's not a genuine thing it could help lead you in certain directions mm-hmm. but you can't look at joe schmo over there and be like well you're uh you're you're in the demographic of like age 25 to 40 white male you're uh middle class which you're considering uh, the college educated whatever it's everybody yeah considering the neighborhood yeah this was this was like it's not it's not middle effective. class white suburbia yeah is what i know of the neighborhood yeah. i don't know if it was like that back yeah. then but that's yeah. pretty much you can what make generals is. you can make aggregates but you can't you can't say for sure definitively yeah. the problem is they didn't focus on they didn't even look at any other suspects it was just oh all him so God. they were trying to make the evidence fit him yes and not try and figure out what the evidence was telling them yes which is a huge problem yeah um also another fucked up thing oh moran had a solid alibi yeah solid so his time card indicated that he left work at about 3 30 p.m and then he went to the mall to make some purchases went to the grocery store to make purchases and he got home around 5 5 30 so this was after i'm assuming he had receipts to show for it too i would assume so yeah because if he had a solid alibi and when he came home at around 5 5 30 his parents and his sister were home and his uh, brother-in-law was just leaving the house as he was coming in so yeah. these these were all people who were vouching for him yeah so at the first trial prosecution said that his family was quote mistaken in their support of his alibi yeah, yeah and then in the second trial they said his family lied oh my god yeah to protect him yeah yeah i'm like it, this makes me so angry because he had a completely solid alibi and they just yeah. completely threw that out the window yeah and i don't know i'm sorry but the jurors on that case you're fucked no that's that's a completely that's that's incredibly it's irresponsible yeah yeah it's disgusting they just like i understand why like they want to pin it on somebody something this cruel done to someone like especially a little girl they want they want to pin it on somebody but you can't just be like oh we found the guy we found the guy closed yeah you know what son you look you look a little weird son you know what it's probably you like it's not how fucking works um also if i recall correctly from my lecture 
Uh, the police were so intent on implicating Guy Palmeren that they kept calling the scientists to get update on evidence, which you can't do Jesus. that. Because here's the thing. A piece of evidence goes through a number of tests before you can really report on like the results. Yeah. The reason is because you go through first presumptory tests, which is just kind of like, okay, maybe it's this thing. So here's the next set of tests that we do, and that's your confirmatory test. Okay. Right? So, and then, it, like, the way evidence works is that one thing doesn't conclude anything. You need a combination of stuff. So yeah. you can't just call in the middle of someone testing and be like, what oh, no. So what is it? What oh, no. Especially, like, let's say, DNA, like, DNA evidence wasn't used until much later in this mm-hmm. case, but let's say DNA evidence, if you call... Firstly, they're not going to have the DNA evidence ready. Still going through the freaking electrophoresis. But, like, yeah, even then, if they were like, okay, well, I can tell you he's male. Well, that doesn't that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, that's half the population. Um, okay, great. Yeah, so like, that's, um, that was a major issue. And now, 100%, scientists can only give results in final written reports. Isn't it also that you're supposed to be presenting the... It, it is like you present the findings as fact you don't say oh he did it you're just like the dna has been yeah, concluded yeah. to match 98 percent with the whatever like yeah uh, again i'll get into the whole matching thing yeah because this plays a part yeah okay um so yeah they they fucked up the forensics too okay. so you mentioned red fibers she wasn't wearing anything red no you know what happened oh they contaminated the evidence oh my god so no this I am pretty sure was from the same lecture because so in lab we were told to either elastic or tape our sleeves of our lab coats closed oh. because anything you wear under it could get onto your evidence. Oh. So what happened, oh, and God. this was being told by my props who were fr- like working forensic scientists, right? Yeah. So I don't know if this was like a story they heard or, um, but one of the technicians, she had a red sweater that she kept in the, in the, uh, lab for when it got cold and it's Canada so it gets cold yeah but she didn't tape her sleeves so she was adding red fibers not just to this case but to a bunch of other cases so they were like dude this was kind of the joke at first it was like they thought it was a serial killer because it was implemented in so many things yeah and then they were like wait no the Um, technician is wearing the red sweater now here's the thing if you fuck up you own up to it right yeah uh they hit it Oh my god. That's why they lied about they lied about it. They lied about <sighs> saying that the sweater um had like that the fibers belonged to that sweater, which again, she wasn't wearing a red sweater. No. And also, there is no such thing as an individual definitive match with either fibers or hairs. Now hairs I'll get into, but fibers, so you have these things called class characteristics. Okay which are like, uh, what's the material of the fiber, what's the color, what's the weave. Like, so it's common to everything that uh, is manufactured the same way. Okay. Right? Now, individual characteristics are, like if you think ballistics, um, like you've probably heard striation matching, which I was very good at, by the way. <laughs> um, but you would, the reason that you were able to match a bullet or casing to a gun is because of the marks made by the barrel of the gun as it's ejecting and that is a hundred percent unique okay right so per gun mom leave me alone yes per gun because it's just the wear and tear and the way like the the barrel is cut and made and stuff yeah so those markings and everything is a hundred percent unique right Mm -hmm. so you can't sorry my mom's Oh, it's okay. My mom was texting me asking when she could bring the laundry down. And I'm like, you can't run the laundry machine. (laughs) We're recording. Um, Yes. So with fibers, you can't have individual characteristics. I mean, okay, here's the theory. You can. Okay. The only way to do it, which is impossible, is if you match the, like, say, you know, a fiber was ripped or pulled off, if you match the jagged end to another jagged end. Oh. Uh, yeah, okay, are you going to look through every million, no, like, that's not a fiber happening. on a shirt? No, 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 no. So even if they didn't lie about the fiber, even if they did find a fiber that actually might have matched something she wore, they can't overstate the significance of that. They have to say it is consistent with the sweater that she was wearing. Okay. Which the wording is very important because I, I did take this in my law classes. Yeah. You can't say things definitive like it matched. It was 100% match. No. Um, and then with hairs, uh, this is more of an like a 
interesting tidbit. So hair only has individual DNA if you have the little follicle at the end. Like if you pulled out your hair or whatever. And it's got the little white little... Yeah. yeah, so that's where your DNA actually comes in. Otherwise, it's the same thing, class characteristics, right? So like oh, my hair is like probably... dead keratin, right? Or whatever? Yeah, now yeah. the only kind of exception is you do have mitochondrial DNA in your in like the very inner shaft of your hair. Now, mitochondrial DNA is not the same as your normal DNA. It's inherited only from your mother. So okay. it's not individual. Um, everyone, oh. your mother, your mother's siblings, um, everyone who shares the same mother, so all your siblings oh, are going to have the same mitochondrial DNA. So actually, the interesting fact is this is a good way to um, figure out if, say, they found a body of a potential missing person and they don't have any source of DNA from that missing person, they can ask family members right. um, who would share the mitochondrial DNA. And yeah. if the mitochondrial DNA matches, then it's like, okay, Okay, well, okay. And then the bones say that this yeah. is a 5'7", whatever, male, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Unless yeah, okay. you've got another missing sibling, then I'm pretty yeah. sure. Okay, yeah. okay. So fun, that. fun DNA fact. Um, My favorite. Yes. But really, even, even DNA matches, your normal DNA matches, you can't say it's a match. Yeah. Really. Because... Um, more forensics facts, you only test in forensic DNA testing 13 loci or markers. Uh. So the thing is, you know, if you have one match, like one marker match, then it doesn't really mean much, right? Because a whole bunch of people can have, because you only have like a possibility of a well, couple and and we as humans, we share a vast majority of our DNA yeah. with a lot of other mammals and shit. So. Yeah, so, but if it's like a combination of um, like if all 13 match, yeah, then it's a pretty good chance. But it's like there's a one in 13 billion. I, I'm making up that number. I don't remember what it yeah. is. But that's called like the random probability match. Okay. Which is like, okay, well, here's the chance of it matching. There's only how many people on Earth? Uh, uh, it's under 8 billion. Yes, 7 billion-ish. Um, and if it's like one in 13 billion, then chances are, unless yeah. it's a twin or an orphan black clone. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So this was obviously a significant case in a lot of aspects. Firstly, conduct by the police, the tunnel vision, um, also being com- the forensics being completely fucked up, yeah. overstating of evidence, um, and of course the jailhouse stitches, snitches, snitches, snitches do get stitches. Yes. Okay. Well, okay, no offense. I would never take anything they say seriously because if they're snitching, chances are they're trying to get out early on good yep. behavior or work some sort of plea deal or whatever uh, the fuck. That's exactly what happened. Firstly, they were coached <laughs> They were coached by prosecutors course, on what course. to say, and their sentences were cut shorter, and of course this was not disclosed to the jury. This is very serial. Very undisclosed. Yeah, well. Adnan. Did yeah. you ever listen to that? I listened to Serial. Yeah, and a okay. bit of Undisclosed. Yeah, I couldn't get through Undisclosed. Um, it was it was a bit difficult because I was listening at, listening at work. At exactly. work, and so, you can't focus. No, but. I couldn't. <laughs> so I couldn't get to, yeah, I couldn't get through it simply because I, like, I couldn't focus on it. But continue. Sorry. Um, yes, so <laughs> one more thing that gets kind of worse. Um, it was also revealed that Christine's parents, uh, uh, Janet and Ken Jessa, Okay. They were actually convinced by detectives. Uh, I'm going to say their names because fuck them. Yeah. Bernie Fitzpatrick and John Shepard. Fuck you, Bernie Fitzpatrick and John Shepard. They were being convinced by the detectives to change the time they supposedly came home. Because they said they came home at 410 at first, right? Yeah. But they also knew, based on where um, Guy Pomeran worked, that he couldn't have gotten home before about 415. You said he didn't get off work till 330? Yeah, so yeah, no. they, they yeah. said it It just didn't make sense. So they were told to say they came home at 4.30. Yeah. So, of course, they... Um, You're, like, yeah. literally falling apart because your child is missing. They must have been under they're, incredible they're duress. Yeah. Uh, the mother did, unfortunately, pass away a couple of years ago. No. Um, and the father did apologize to Guy Pomeran. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to comment too much on, on that, but... Yeah. yeah, so it was just fuck up after fuck up yeah. after fuck up. Um, 1.5 mil doesn't come close to fixing that. No. And one more sad ending part. Yeah. To this day, Christine's murder was never solved. Yeah, because they focus all their energy on the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to looking for someone else, they just blamed it on the first available dude. Yep. And they, well, they, they, fucked, they didn't have any evidence. No. They had the semen, but 
you know, people kind of joke like, oh, the DNA's on there. But if you don't have anything to compare it to, yes. it doesn't, there's no, like, we're not that kind of country where everyone's DNA is taken at birth. No, dude. So. Um, I wonder if they were to, like, retroactively now take that DNA sample and go through the giant fucking backlog of criminal DNA that we do have right now, if they'd be able to match yeah, anything. Yeah, but there is also a giant backlog. Yes. So that's, that's okay. the issue. Well. Yeah, unfortunately, cold cases. What's his name? Guy. Guy something? Paul Moran. M-O-R-N. I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah, that sucks, man. Yeah. I'm sorry that the fucking you got failed miserably here. Like you let down. That is just incredibly unfair. Like, on what planet is it okay to just be like, you know, like again, I, I get they probably just wanted it solved, mm-hmm. but you know what? You can't force yeah, you someone to, to be guilty. Properly. Yeah, you, you can't have... force that on someone. Because here's the thing. Just because you say the case is solved doesn't mean it's, it's solved. actually solved. The killer is still out there. That's another thing. That's another thing because you put the wrong person in jail. There's somebody else who's out there who's potentially like pre- uh, predating, pre- whatever, Predator. praying. praying. Wow. Yeah. Probably preying on other children, mm-hmm. you know, and like causing other harm and like. Yeah. So this, they weren't even connected. That's the thing. They, they, could, they could find it. Like, the same situation could happen. A, a girl could go missing. They could find her body forever, whatever, later. But they're like, well, no, we caught the guy, so it we doesn't matter. We caught the guy, so it must be someone else. And yeah. it's like, okay, now you've, you've backed yourself into a corner because as opposed to working with two different crime scenes and two different sets of like evidence and DNA or whatever, and whatever um, you've got one and you can't mm-hmm. connect it to anything. Yeah, and again, the other, the other tricky part was that it was between two different kind of jurisdictions i yeah. guess um, there must have been that's another thing i wanted to say i live in the durham region <laughs> and i live in the york region can't can't say that durham region police are the most exceptional folks on the planet i i mean okay I but wanna... this was in the 80s maybe it was yeah. different then but there's not as much communication then um, well there's a reason why like the, they're shit. all drps does is give out parking tickets and like speeding tickets that's fucking literally it i mean in their defense one of my profs was a drp detective yeah he's a sweet lovely guy well he's i'm sure very i'm sure he's very and you know what anytime that there's job. anything they're all very bored because it'll <laughs> be like there's a fight and they oh yeah they, they'll just they'll, they'll pull out the swat team they'll pull out cars they'll put it. <laughs> and actually like i have a funny story to tell you i didn't tell you this um my youngest brother just he does krav maga and he uh just got his um he, he passed a test an incredibly rigorous test 10-day course Wow. Eight-hour test of uh, to become an instructor um, with the uh, the International Federation, and it's it's a huge huge deal. We're incredibly proud of him. But um, part of that was he was outside of the facility, and um, they were doing knife attacks. Uh-huh. They're not using real knives, mind you. Yeah. Um, but they're doing knife attacks. So you just see a group of people because he wasn't the only one that was doing it. A group of people out there, and a, a like half of them have knives pulled out on the other one. Yeah. And so someone called the police. Oh, no. And then a police car showed up, and they're like, what is going on here? And they're like, we're we're training. We're doing training. And then they're like, oh, my God, okay, we have SWAT on backup, and we have, like, a whole group. Like, they pulled out the big guns for this because they thought it was a group, big group of people literally well, it getting looked, into it knife fights. sounds fight. like it was a game yeah. fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's just, that's just a funny story. But when he t- I was, like, crying, laughing, and he was like, yo, it was fuck, man. We were like, no, we're just training. Like, don't you see the pads? There's a big sign that says martial arts. <laughs> It was so funny. Like, I get why I did it because, like, I mean, and especially when you're like, huh, there's a group of people, so many of them, there's knives and that, whatever. Yeah, but oh my God, yeah. I died. It was like, like oh, and it was from SWAT. Like, what I know of Krav Maga is the, the moves don't look like choreographed. The, the thing is, Krav Maga so. is, it's not like, I don't know, I think, like, I think it's just like easy to refer to it as martial arts, but it's heavy in self defense. Yeah. So it's, it's not like, karate or like taekwondo or anything you like that you don't learn moves you no. learn reactions yes yes and yeah. like they're there it's it's very much like it looks like you're throwing down yeah you know? so it doesn't it doesn't look like martial no, arts no i've seen him i've seen him test for like prior levels too and they, the way that they test sometimes like i don't know if they did it with him this time but they will gang up a number of people to come attack you because uh. that's part of it like it's, it's at a more advanced level and so it literally looks like people are fighting him so yeah. it's like, but it killed me. It's like, oh, thank God you guys are okay. We have to call everyone. Like, it's like, tap police cars, like SWAT team. And fucking, like, it was just really funny. I'm just trying to imagine the radio call back being like, so. They're uh, training. It's fine. No one is actually in harm. Knives. Yeah, it killed me. Oh, my God. That's too funny. Yeah. But yeah, so like no Tino shade to Durham Region Police. But I, I have no idea how advanced their shit would be, especially up in Centerland. Like. 
I don't I don't know that I area. don't know but it's it's, it's north I, so I assume it's, it's north. not very yeah yeah so urban. I don't I don't know I don't know again no Tino shade I know that there are some fine folks that work on it but I've also dealt with DRPS a few times myself uh, and I've been incredibly annoyed and disappointed so I don't know but it is a different time the 80s were 30 years ago wow did I math that correctly I think so. Okay. Because the 90s were over 20 years ago. Oh, fuck me. You're right. Fuck me. Okay. Yeah, we're... We're in our mid-20s. <laughs> okay. Anyway, anything else you'd like to add for today? Um, other than follow us on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So um, we have expanded our podcast areas. This is oh, probably... Yes. We're, uh, we By the time this goes up, we will not be on SoundCloud anymore. Um, however, I pulled it up. That's what I was doing. I didn't mean to like look rude. Like oh, I wasn't no, looking no, no, through no. my phone. I was just pulling up the email, being like, "No, I can fuck I can see." <laughs> um, so um, we are on Anchor, Stitcher. What is this called? Radio Public, uh, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. And we will and Stitcher. I said Stitcher. Oh, did you? Yeah. Did oh. I say Stitcher? Whatever, Stitcher as well. And uh, <laughs> we're we're hoping soon enough, like it, the Google Play and uh, Apple Play or whatever. It, t- it takes a long fucking time, dude. Holy shit. Yeah. I assume they get more too. So we'll yeah, they must have a huge that, backlog. That'll be on there, and we'll yep. of course announce it when it is. Yes, and um, you could also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr, all at Canada Obscura, like one word. Um, you can shoot us an email if you have any questions, comments, concerns, criticisms. Or marriage proposals, that's always my favorite one, at Canada Obscura Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you have any suggestions on what you'd like to cover or if you've got like a funny death oh, story. Oh, I have a couple. Of your own. Uh, yeah, I've already gotten a few requests. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. My friends have been very, very dear and they're like, can you do this one? And I'm like, absolutely. I gotcha. So yeah, that'll be coming up soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and I think we're doing Canadian stories as well as stuff done by canadians okay yeah yeah. that's the, i was gonna ask you i sent you that question but i don't think we actually yeah, talked no. about it no yeah because not. yeah we get distracted my, very easily yeah sorry guys my one friend was like yeah you know it does that count too and i was we'll like just, mm, we'll just open it up idea mm-hmm. because because it's just it's associated to Good canada question. yeah because they're canadians going out and being assholes so we're having assholes been being to them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, being tried. inflicted with assholes Anyway, all right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode. Talk to you next time. See you next time. Bye.